On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with an abuse survivor named Kelowna, and Kelowna dealt with an abusive mother and a controlling husband. It's a story of being good enough, feeling stuck, financial abuse, infidelity, and going no contact for good. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, we have Kelowna. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you for asking. And if you want to be a guest on our show like Kelowna is today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. Click on that button. It takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And for today's story, there is a content warning for this episode. There is physical abuse that is mentioned in this episode, as well as sexual abuse too. So a content warning there. And with Kelowna's story, this is a story that is a hybrid story. It is a story about her mother, her abusive mother, and it is also a relationship story. And her mom is always finding her way back into Kelowna's life. And it's a story about feeling like you have nowhere to go. And so many people have this situation. So you move to one abusive situation only to find yourself in another one and feeling stuck. There's just no support, nowhere to go. So a big thank you to Kelowna for being our guest. This episode has been a long time coming. We've been sitting on this one for a couple of years. So a big thank you to Kelowna for being patient with us. And now I will get out of my way and your way. Kelowna, the floor is now yours. Thank you. So I'm going to start off with giving a little bit of back history. Um, my mom was a alcoholic, uh, whole life, always been a drinker. She was not very quiet about it at all. She would start at about noon and go until she passed out. Um, her narcissism was in both her sober times and her drunk times. And I feel like when she was intoxicated, it only amplified it. Um, and I dealt with this my whole life. She was uh, really not easy to live with at all. I was um, the oldest. I have a younger brother. And we are six years apart. And he was the invisible child. He didn't exist. She never cared for him, fed him, acknowledged his presence. So I kind of became the mother figure for him. And um, I was the scapegoat. So Anything and everything I did was never good enough and was all my fault, um, which made it hard to grow up as a child, um, knowing every day when you come home, your mom's going to be intoxicated and screaming <laughs> about how you're not good enough. Um, so, you know, growing up as a teenager, it was really hard to build any kind of self-esteem with her because, you know, I was always horrible no matter what. It didn't matter what I did. I was just never ever good. So um, when I was about 10 or 11, um, I started to get brave, you know, and I wasn't going to believe her lies anymore, you know, because she would very much so make it so we were isolated. We were never allowed to leave the house after three o'clock. We didn't even know stores were open after three o'clock. Um, and, you know, I would hang out with friends and go to different people's houses. And that's when I started to realize, like, hey, people sit down at the dinner table and they eat and they talk about their day. Like, wow, that that's that's not something that happens at my house. And I'll never forget when I was 11, like I said, I was sitting at a friend's house. And they were eating dinner and they were talking about their day. And I had told a story. I can't remember which story, but I had told a story that was kind of like not really healthy or normal for a family. And I'll never forget my friend's mom looked at me and went, that's not, that's not right. That's not, that's not okay. You know, and she 
kind of pulled me aside and opened my eyes to like, it was that bad. Um, it was really bad. I would have like nightmares. I'd spend the night over at her house all the time. She was a really close friend of mine. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night crying, screaming, um, hysterical, you know, because I would just have these horrible nightmares of me, like my mom killing me or, you know, and like right before she would kill me, I'd wake up and I just have these horrible nightmares. And so her mom would sit there and she'd, you know, console me or whatever. And then I finally told that story at the dinner table and she was like, okay, here's the deal. You know, need to understand that you, you aren't horrible. You are good enough. And, you know, she kind of just gave me that little positive push I needed to kind of try to start figuring things out, you know? So before we get to you figuring things out, when it comes to your mom and the issues that she had, uh, you know, with making you feel uh, that you're not good enough, your brother being this invisible child, what was, I guess, you know, her life was not going maybe the way she wanted. Do you know, uh, you know, what was missing within her um, to to have her act the way that she did? Like what happened to her at all? Uh, you know... My mom, it's so hard because a lot of the stories she tells me, I don't know if they're true or false. Um, from what I understand, she is a child of five. Uh, my grandma was a single mom. Uh, her dad left. Her dad was really abusive to my grandmother, and I think she witnessed a lot of it. And uh, my grandma took them all and left in the middle of the night one night and um, was just a single mom from then on out. And they grew up rough and they were poor and, you know, they lived in the city and my grandma worked three jobs and they kind of had to take care of each other and they had no guidance and they didn't have, you know, two pennies to rub together. So I think that she just felt like the world owed her something, you know, because she didn't get what she deserved. So everybody owes her, you know. And what were your, if you knew them, your, um, I guess your aunts and uncles like? Oh gosh. You know, they all knew that my mom was, um, a narcissist and horrible and, uh, they stayed away from her. A lot of them distanced themselves from her. They didn't come to the house. There weren't any family parties we were ever invited to just because, you know, the few times that I did witness it, she would always pick a fight. And it would be a huge dramatic scene where she's throwing the table over and calling everyone names. And then we're storming out of there like so fast, you know, it makes your head spin almost where you're just like, wow. So they distance themselves a lot and um, they just never really talked to us or intervened. So as up until the age of 11, it's you taking care of your brother. You have your friends at school. Right. But as far as, you know, before this parent has this talk with you, are do you know any different in the sense of, are you feeling alone? Um, how do you cope in these situations? And I guess what would be some things that you used as coping mechanisms back then that eventually we might get to don't serve you very well later? So, um... I was always in such a state of panic. There was never a moment uh, as a child where I wasn't serving her in a mental or physical sense. And um, as far as coping, I, I really got good at swallowing it and pretending like this was just how it was supposed to be. Like, this is normal. This is how life is. You know, I'm not worthy and I should bring her water in bed, you know, and I should make her breakfast and I need to take care of my brother because, you know, who else is going to? And and I just never really had time to sit and process or think about it. I just kind of ended up on this coast of survival, right, where it's just constant fight or flight and there was never any slow time at all. It was just always constant panic. I have a really hard time recalling memories. And I think it's because I was in such a state of panic that my brain never really wrote it down, you know, but um, 
I will sit and I'll talk with my younger brother and, and he's a really big part of my healing because he he's there and he's like, oh, no, 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 this happened. Don't you remember? You know, mom would get on the ground and act like a beast and chase us around the room. Don't you remember that? And I'm like, whoa, like he he brings it all back to me. And then I'm like, yeah, I do remember that. And it kind of helps ground me because I'm like, OK, I wasn't crazy. These things did happen. Um, but, yeah, I have a hard time recalling a lot of it. So I took you off track there a little for my own curiosity's sake, but let's get back to when you're 11 years old and your friend's mom validates you. What happens from there? So then I become rebellious, right? And I gain all of this false confidence and I have all this knowledge now. And I think that, you know, I'm going to educate her, right? So when she comes at me the next time, I'm going to educate her. And she was a big um, bust into your room type of person. Like I'd be sitting in my room, hanging out and all of a sudden the door would just be busted down and she'd be in there, you know, whatever emotion or mask she was wearing that day is what I would see. And I was waiting for that. Right. So I, I, you know, mapped it out in my head. I'm like, I'm going to tell her, I'm going to tell her, I know what she is. I'm going to tell her it's all a fallacy. I know this. And I'm just, you know, I'm going to stand up to her. It's going to be great. Sitting in my room, she busts down the door, just like she always does. And she's coming at me, screaming at me about how, you know, I'm lazy or something. And I try to turn it around on her. Right. And I'm like, no. (laughs) And I, I tell her that I know what she is. And I tell her this, that, and the other thing. And somehow as usual, she ends up turning it around and making me feel like an ungrateful child because now I'm attacking her and how dare I attack her when she's put a roof over my head and she had nothing as a child and, you know, all this. So I quickly realized I wasn't going to get anywhere trying to stand up to her, right? Like I, I was just kind of trapped. And I spent from 11 until 14 um, depressed like very depressed and um, rebellious. Like I acted out in school. I ended up getting kicked out of school. I was just begging anyone to pay attention to me, regardless if it was positive or negative. I had huge feelings of just hopelessness, right? Like I felt like nobody was listening and nobody cared. And there was no way I was ever going to get away from her. Or any of this, you know, Um, it was really sad. It was a sad, sad time for sure. So I um, was very rebellious at this time and I would sneak out at night. My mom would pass out drunk. I'd sneak out and I'd go to the city and I'd go see rock bands. And that was like my rebellious, ha ha, mom, you don't know what I'm doing kind of thing. But yeah, so I left one night and I went where I always went to the same venue and I was walking through the crowd and I needed a ride home later. Right. So I was, you know, actively looking for familiar faces that I knew. And I ran into my ex's brother who I went to school with and we are the same age. So I I went to school with him and I was like, oh, hey. And I totally connected with him. And I was like, will you give me a ride home? And he's like, absolutely. Well, my ex was in the car with him. They were there together. And when we were in the car, me and him started talking and we really hit it off. You know, he was charming and funny and, you know, I thought he was cute. And so we exchanged phone numbers that night and I got dropped off and, um, you know, it just started to progress very quickly after that. You know, he called me, we'd hang out. And before I knew it, I'm with him every day and we're inseparable. Okay. Mind you, I was 14 when I met him. It was a month before my 15th birthday. He was 18. So he was significantly older than me. And, um, you know, that plays a big role because I was very, infatuated with him like girl crush little girl crush so infatuated and he was a little bit older and kind of knew a little bit more than I did right so um whatever we meet we're hanging out all the time my mom is supportive of this relationship um and she decides to bring up to us one day that she thinks that you know he should move in and live with us because we're so inseparable and we're so perfect for each other that he should just move in. 
And of course, you know, yes, absolutely. So now my mom moves in this 18 year old who I've been dating and uh, we continue to live with my mom until I graduate high school. We didn't have a healthy relationship. We, we fought all the time. Um, he was very jealous and, you know, he would argue with me about, you know, going to school or wearing makeup or what shirt I'm wearing, or I'd wake up in the morning and I'd get ready and I'd be like in sweatpants and a t-shirt and he'd be mad that I had mascara on, you know, it was never healthy. And she would hear us argue and stuff and it didn't make a difference to her. So. So eventually you have enough of living with your mom and you both go to move in with his mother. So walk us through this. When I was eight, after I graduated high school, I graduated when I was 17 and we left and we um, went and moved into his mom's house, like an hour away from my parents. And my mom um, gave my ex guardianship of me. So before we left, she gave him parental rights to me when I was 17 because she figured, oh, you're almost 18. It's fine. So he had custody of me, essentially. And um, yeah, so then we moved to his mom's house and. Oh, gosh, Um, we spent a very lot of time. Arguing, (laughs) we argued a lot. Um, he was very controlling and, um, I wasn't allowed to work. I wasn't allowed to have a car. I wasn't allowed to make my own money. I wasn't allowed to have any money. He controlled everything. So at this point you're not working, correct? Correct. So he's a mechanic. He works on cars. So he's a mechanic. He's working on cars. You're still living with his mom and you're at home. So... You know, within the control of what's going on, are you allowed to see your friends? Are you are you allowed to? Uh, are your text being checked? Like, what's kind of going on as far as the control aspect of everything? Yeah, so I wasn't allowed to have friends. Any friends that I did ever have, he would tell me were too not good for me. That they were um, hitting on him all the time. That um, they they weren't good. He would also tell me my mom wasn't good for me too. Like he was very much so about isolating me from everyone. I wasn't allowed to hang out with my friends unless he was present. I couldn't have any friends of the opposite sex, obviously. I couldn't even look at the opposite sex. Um, I had a tracker on my phone uh, where so he could see wherever I was. Um, he would call me, and if I didn't answer on the first ring, I was a horrible person. Like, um, yeah, I wasn't, I was isolated completely. And now, I guess as far as the relationship between you and your mom and you and him, you're in the home with him. Are you thinking to yourself at that time, at least this is better than where I was before? So here's that's that's what's weird is I wasn't this is better than where I was before. I was more. um, Where do I go now? I, I knew that I lacked support and I knew that I couldn't go to her and I knew where I was, wasn't good, but I didn't have, I didn't think I had a choice. Whatever happened to that uh, friend and uh, the mom, did they have any concern for you? Um, They did. Uh, I'm actually still friends with her to this day, Um, but it was hard for me to get in touch with anybody because she was that friend to him was a threat right? Because she was going to be like, Hey, you don't need to do this. So he tried to keep me away from her as much as possible. And he developed this story that she was trying to be romantic with him. And he made up this whole big lie that wasn't even true to keep me from her. So I wouldn't even talk to her because I thought she came on to him. Right. And he told, he confessed when really none of it even happened. So as far as being able to like explain your feelings to yourself uh, or having a frame of reference for kind of what's going on, uh, what were your, I guess, your daily struggles of that and your coping mechanisms? So I, I had a really hard time realizing what was going on because I never really knew anything different than abuse. So with me, you know, I basically transitioned from one narcissist to another. I ran away from my mom to end up with my ex, who was just as bad. He just 
you know, it was a different kind of love. So for me, I just thought that that's how things were. I was so conditioned to believe that this is how everybody operated that I didn't realize that there was any other way to be treated. I just thought you were supposed to be treated that way, you know, and even if somebody was, were to look at me and be like, Hey, you know, this isn't right, or this isn't good. I I had those blinders on where I would just be like, okay, you know, and I, I would entertain them, but I wouldn't actually process what they were saying to me because I was just so conditioned. So eventually you get pregnant. So walk us through this. I got pregnant with our first child when I was 20. And um, I'll never forget it. I got pregnant. I I knew I was pregnant. I could feel it. Um, I was late. I just, I knew. And I took the test in the morning and it came up positive. And I went into the other room and he was sitting there playing video games. And I was like, I'm pregnant. You know, like I showed him the test, like I'm pregnant. And he's like, well, what are we going to do about it? And I'm like, we're, we're going to have it, you know, like, what do you mean? What are we going to do about it? And he's like, well, what if I don't, I don't, it's half my choice. And I was like, well, um, we're going to do it. Right. And, and retrospect, if I could have thought back, like I wouldn't have stayed with him. Like I would have kept the baby, but I would have left. I wouldn't have stayed. Right. Because we had two more kids after that. So we had three total. Um, so I found out I'm pregnant. He asked me what we're going to do. I say we're going to keep it. I call my mom for support, right? Because I'm 20 years old. I'm pregnant. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anything about any of this. You know, I just know that I'm keeping the baby and I don't care. And um, call her. I'm like, hi, mom. You know, are you sitting down? And she's like, why? And I was like, sit down. And so she sits down. She's like, okay. And I'm like, I'm pregnant. And she goes, what? And I'm pregnant. Well, you better get to the courthouse tomorrow and marry him because no grandchild of mine is going to be a bastard. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's your advice for me. Okay. So being, you know, naive, I go to the courthouse with him that week and we get married. So I'm feeling, you know, alone and lost in everything and I find out that I'm pregnant and we end up, I call my mom, my mom and me end up forming this new relationship because I'm pregnant now and she's going to be a grandma. And all of a sudden I'm the golden child I always wanted to be. And she's going to all my appointments with me and we're doing all this together. And, you know, I see this like very faint, oh my God, she's going to be my mom idea. And, um, you know, of course, my my ex at the time is like, yeah, he's all about it because then he doesn't have to do anything. Right. So he's about pushing me off on her. So we end up moving back in with my parents because she convinces me that when I have this baby, I'm going to need her help. And so I'm seven months pregnant. Me and my ex-husband move into my parents' house. And that was a huge mistake because I was nine months pregnant. And I was literally about to pop. And my mom had gotten upset because I wouldn't borrow her $20 to go get alcohol. And so she came up and punched me in the face. And um, my nose started bleeding everywhere and my water broke immediately. And I was rushed to the hospital to have my daughter. And... You know, it's such a, a mixed emotion there, right? Because I'm pregnant, I'm hormonal, my mom just punched me in the face, now I'm going into labor, nobody's telling me anything, it just turns into complete chaos. And um, yeah, I go to the hospital and, you know, she's very much so there in the hospital making everything more stressful and telling me, you know, if I have a C-section, she needs to be there. It was very theatrical. Um, and yeah, and then I gave birth to my daughter (laughs) during all of this chaos. And, um, then after I gave birth to her, me and my ex-husband decided we were going to uproot and move to Florida. So you, are you all gung-ho for that move? Absolutely. At that point. Yes. Because, you know, my mom punched me in the face. I had this very traumatic birthing situation. I. 
I'm just, I'm, I'm over it. Right. I'm like, I'm let's go. I don't care. I wasn't thinking rationally. I was just very much so fueled by emotion at this point. So now I'm in Florida. Um, his sister lives down there. So we move in with her and, you know, he gets a job and I'm not allowed to have one because my job is now to take care of our daughter. And, uh, we, we do this for, I think it was not too long because I ended up pregnant again for a second time. Um, I think it was, they are 15 months apart. So not very long at all, a year and a couple months. And I'm pregnant with my second daughter and I find out that I'm pregnant and his sister who um, unfortunately cannot have kids decides that she cannot bear watching me be pregnant in her house. So she kicks me out. She tells my ex he can stay if he wants, but I cannot live there because I'm pregnant and she can't bear watching that. So I call my mom (laughs) because she always seems to be my fall person at that point. And I tell her what happened. And I find out that she has um, moved in with my ex's dad and they are dating. So now I'm in a position where I can't stay where I am. I am mortified and don't want to go live with them, right? Because that is just horrible and weird. And so now I'm like, now what? Now what do I do? So now I I look to my ex again to save me because I feel like I have no options, right? And he decides that, well, we're going to go move up and move in with my dad and your mom. We're going to go back. And so that's what we did. We came back and moved in with my mom and his father. As a mechanic, he should be making a decent amount of money. How come you guys always have to live with family people? Because he he doesn't believe to this day. He still doesn't believe that um, he should have to pay for anything, really. He feels like everybody owes him something. So if he can find the free ride, he will. And all his money will just be his. Very selfish. So you go back to where you're from and now right. what year is this? Is this like a year later? Um, yeah. So this is, let's see, that was 20 tests, so it's like 2012. So yeah, two years. So within that time while you're there, are you uh, being verbally abused the whole entire time? Um, yes, totally. I, um, my ex-husband was was weird. And when I say weird, he was weird in the uh, sexual abuse sense where he would um, constantly be talking to other girls or, you know, going out on Sundays for fantasy football and leaving all day. And, you know, it wasn't really about fantasy football. I know that he was out, you know, sleeping with other women. He was very much so into um, trying to bring other women into bed with us. Um, making me feel inadequate sexually, um, you know, I, I, and that like, I deserved it. I was never good enough for him. I could never please him. Um, which in turn, you know, me as the perfectionist is like, okay, I'll do whatever just to get your approval. Right. So I was constantly seeking his approval at any cost because, you know, I thought that's what I had to do. So yes, he was very abusive. He also, um, one night and when we were living in Florida, before we moved back, he, um, I was doing something, he gave me his phone for something. I forget what it was for, but I was looking for a picture in his photos. And I came across a series of videos, probably eight videos of him doing inappropriate things to me while I was sleeping. And I freaked out and I was like, this is unacceptable. You can't do this. You can't, you can't do this at all. This is not okay. And his response to me was, well, you're my wife, so I own you. And um, that was horrible. (laughs) It was really horrible. In that moment, I I kind of was like, wow, um, no. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't didn't do anything. Didn't do anything. So you're enduring this abuse with your husband, but now you're going to be moving back with him and into a home with your mom and his dad. So walk us through this. So that is also a circus um, because my mom is the ringleader of all circuses. And 
She, you know, would be very verbally abusive to me. She would try to use my daughter as a tool to hurt me by acting like my daughter liked her more than me. And she'd make like off the cuff um, statements about it and comments about how, you know, uh, my daughter loved her more or I could never, you know, rock her to sleep like she could or I could never. Yeah, I just wasn't an adequate mother. So she was constantly making comments about how I was not adequate um, and making me feel insecure about my abilities as a parent. So now you are living in the home of two abusers, two people that have abused you in your past. How is this all functioning? Uh, Does your mom become the primary abuser? Um, yes, because anything that my ex-husband did to me that was abusive during that time, he would victimize himself, right? And he would make it seem like he was the victim in all of this and he had to deal with my mom. So because he had to deal with my mom, that's my fault. And all of this is my fault. So because I, I had it from both sides, they were just different types. And what's his dad like? His dad is very verbally abusive as well. It's It was like a trifecta of narcissism. It never, and that's why I say I, I never, I've never until recently, the past year and a half, I've never lived my life without trauma or abuse. I've always lived within a narcissistic community. It's almost like a compound. I've lived in a narcissism compound for my whole life. You know, you're, you're getting it from some side every single day at this point. You're doing your best to raise your children and protect your children. How are you coping now at this point of relationship? And where is your brother? <laughs> so my brother, this is a horrible story. Um, he got hit by a car. Um, my brother was, my parents got divorced when I lived in Florida. And my brother went and moved in with my dad because there was no way he was going to live with my mom. My brother is six years younger than me. So at that time, he was still a teenager. He was still in high school. And um, we lived in a a big city, a very busy, big city. And he left one day and he went to go walk across the street and some lady hit him. And um, he was in the hospital for three months in a coma. And he suffered permanent brain damage from this. And um, so he was very much so had his own things going on. Right. And. Because I was so isolated, I never really got a chance to talk to him ever. And is he okay in any way or is he just, you know? Yeah, no, he's great. Today, yeah, he's great. Okay. He's fantastic. It's a happy ending. Yeah, so he totally, yeah, he he got hit by the car. He had permanent brain damage, um, you know, and he went through physical therapy. He had a great staff of doctors and he is fully functioning human and he's doing well. He's doing real good. So, you know, you're in that home. How are you coping? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Um, I, I, looking back, and especially with social media, it's funny. I look at my Facebook memories, and they are a horrible reminder of the dark places I was before. Um, I wasn't coping. I was constantly looking for somebody to listen, for somebody to help me. So I was reaching out to my grandma. I was reaching out to my aunts and uncles. I was reaching out to people on social media, just anybody that would sit down and listen because I, I had no one to talk to at all. Um, so I wasn't coping. I, was, I, I really invested myself heavily in being the best mom I could. That, that was my saving grace. I got up every day and I gave my kids 100% because that was my therapy. They were my therapy. They were my joy. And without them, I don't think I would have survived at all. You know, so this goes on. And then there's two years span of me just, you know, totally investing myself as a mother. And then I have my son. I get pregnant with my son. Um, And we moved back and forth to Florida a few more times. We did this four times back and forth. Um, After he was born, I was about 25 and I was reading the paper one day and I came across this ad about going to school to become a cosmetologist. And it was a 
if you brought in the the ad, it took off like $5,000. And that is something I always wanted to do my entire life. And so I decided that I was going to do it and I didn't care what I had to do to get there, but I was going to do it. And so I went and I went behind my ex's back and I signed up for school and my brother gave me the money from his settlement from getting hit by the car so that I could go to beauty school. So I signed up, paid for it. Nobody could say anything. I was doing it. I went and I I did it. I went to night school and, you know, my ex was off at night and I, I basically told him this is what I'm doing. And, you know, I still didn't have a car, but I was resourceful and I got rides from girls from school who would come pick me up and drop me off. And no matter what he, he tried so many different times to get me to stop, but I just kept pushing through because I knew that I had to do something to get out of where I was. And so <laughs> I was at beauty school and I normally got out of beauty school at 9 p.m. And we got out early that night. And so I got dropped off at my apartment building and I walked in and we lived on the top floor. So I get all the way up to the top floor. I open the door and I close it and it's quiet and it's dark. And I'm like, huh. And I heard some noise from the back bedroom and I'm like, okay. So I walked down the hallway and the back bedroom, there's two bedrooms right next door to each other. One was where the kids was and one was mine and my ex-husband's. And I walked in on him with my best friend. And uh, she wasn't really my best friend. We were good friends, but needless to say, she was one of my really good friends. And I caught them in the act and I immediately turned around and closed the door and I went to the bathroom and I sat down and I was like, all right, the window's open. I can jump out now. This is my, this is my way out. So he came in and he was like, do you still love me? And I looked at him and I laughed and I was like, no, no. In fact, I will be filing for divorce. So you did end up filing for divorce and were able to move in with your dad because as you previously mentioned, he was no longer married to your mom and he was a great help. And then you graduate, you get a job and you get your own place and you have three kids and that is not easy taking care of them when you have a job as well and are a single parent. And this is how your mom comes back into your life. She was recently broken up with. You know, she was once dating your ex's dad and that is no longer happening. And here she comes back. So walk us through this. I... um realize that my kids are too small to be in school all day and I need help. And who is my, my happy helper, my grandma of the year, my mom, right? So my mom and me start talking again and she convinces me that it would be so much easier for me if she just came and watched the kids when I went to work and then she would leave and go back to my grandma's house. And I'm like, you know what, that, that would work out great. Cause then it'd be easier for me to pay my bills and I'll be able to make all of this happen, right? We're going to work together. This is going to be great. And so, you know, eventually this turns, everything's fine. And eventually it turns into her never leaving, right? So we never really had a conversation about her moving in. She just eventually never leaves. And um, I'm like, okay, well, you know, she's been well-behaved. She helps a lot. Like I get to work and, you know, she takes care of the kids and she makes the meals and, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is her second chance. Maybe she's going to be the, the good grandma that I, that, you know, the kids need. And sure, she wasn't a good mom, but surely she could be a good grandma. Right. So, um, that went on. She lived with me for about until last October. And, um, During this time, you know, the first few years she was behaved or so I thought she was being behaved. You know, I didn't see any red flags. We didn't really fight. We, we had a good flow of things going. Um, the last few years she started to do the whole, you know, turn the kids against you thing where she had my son telling me that he loved grandma more than me, you know, like she was straight up brainwashing my kids into believing that I was horrible. So she had me right where she wanted me. And I almost fell back into the same trance that I was in back when I was a kid. It's almost like 
I was a kid all over again. I didn't have control over my household. I didn't, she wouldn't let me cook dinner for my kids. She wouldn't let me clean up. She wouldn't let me do their laundry. She wouldn't let me do anything. I was just the provider. That was it. And she kind of backed me into this corner and she had all the kids eaten out of her hand. And, you know, truthfully, I, I understood, you know, I get it. It, I, I lived it. Right. But I knew that it was no good. Um, so I'm coming home from work one day. This is, this is when it all comes to a head, right? So I'm coming home from work one day and I get a phone call from my child's school. And this was when they were all doing homeschooling. Okay. So my mom was helping while I was at work. She was at home with them, helping them homeschool. And, um, I was coming home from work and I get a phone call from the school and it's the principal and the principal's like, uh, hi, you know, uh, do you have a moment to, to talk? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, what's going on? And mind you, prior to this, um, let me backtrack a little bit. Me and my ex-husband divorced, right? We were divorced for five years up to this point. Um, I had taken him back to court because I, I was moving and I was in, here in the States. There's a law that if you move out of a 25 mile radius that you have to ask permission from the court. And so I was moving 35 miles and I needed to get permission from the court. And um, I was also trying to get some kind of child support because he was paying me nothing. Right. So we had been going all this time. And when we had divorced, I just wanted out of the relationship so badly that I just agreed to whatever. And I agreed to no child support at the time. So when we went back, I was like, hey, you know, I want to move. And I think that you should help support your children. So this was an ongoing battle between me and him with the court system, complete nightmare for like two years. All right. And um, it got to the point where it was coming to an end. And right when it was coming to an end, this is where I'll jump back to, I was in my car and got a phone call from the principal. And he tells me that he asked me if everything's all right. And I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. And he's like, well, can you explain why my teacher is telling me that you slapped your son? on camera on the zoom meeting and i'm like i'm not home i'm on my way home from work but let me call my mom who is with my children and i'll give you a call back right so i call her and i'm like mom the principal called me he said this what's going on oh well he's mistaken that didn't happen and i'm like well uh why would he say that well i didn't i didn't touch your son okay well I'll be home in a couple of minutes. We'll talk about it. Right. So now I'm, I'm panicking because I'm like, you know, second guessing myself. She's already put me in a situation now where I'm second guessing myself. Right. Like I'm, I'm thinking that the principal's lying to me kind of thing. And so I get home and I grab my son and I'm like, Hey, come with me. And we, we go for a walk. Right. Because I, I want to ask him what's going on. Right. I don't want to ask her. And he looked at me and said, nope, grandma didn't hit me. Nope, she didn't, she didn't hit me. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive she didn't hit me. She wouldn't hit me. She loves me more than anything. I'm like, oh, that sounds like manipulation, you know, like coached. So I go in the house and, you know, I, I'm talking to her. In the middle of talking to her, I get an email from the school saying that they called DCFS on me and my mom for child abuse. And unfortunately, that email also went through the court system. So now, <laughs> now my children have a guardian, right? They have their own attorney. So now he's got it. The judge has got it. My ex-husband's attorney has it. And I'm sitting there like, awesome, awesome. I've spent the last two years fighting for the kids to move here and for all of this to be good. And you destroy it in a matter of minutes and then deny it, right? Like she is so adamant on telling me that the teacher is lying, that the teacher is lying and, and the principal's lying and none of it's true and they hate her. And that's why they're lying about it. Like, like full on for 45 minutes trying to convince me of this. And I almost believed her, right? I wanted to believe her. I really truly did. That wasn't the case. DCFS is a very long, very, very long process, and they take their time. And um, they went through and investigated, and I 
physically. So my mom, we have this emergency meeting, right? Because my ex-husband jumps on this and he's like, oh, this is it. You're unfit. I'm going to win this case. And he immediately pushes for an emergency meeting. And so we go into court, we have this emergency meeting. And I explain, you know, to the best of my ability, what's going on. But but court doesn't really care about emotions, right? So they, they don't care. But they make it so they order it so that my mom cannot be around my kids. They have a restraining order against her for the next 30 days. Okay. Well, we all live together. So this creates a way bigger theatrical production at my house, right? Because now she's moving out because everybody's a liar and I'm taking her grandchildren away from her and I'm a horrible human and blah, blah, blah. And so I pick up the kids and we go and we stay with a friend and I let her stay at my house that I pay for because it's just better for us to be removed. Right. So we do that. And I explain to her over the phone because I don't want to see her that, um, you know, I'm terminating the lease early and she needs to get out. And she just needs to figure it out. And um, so she went and she moved all her stuff out and she took like everything that she thought would be inconvenient for me and haven't talked to her since. So you at that point haven't talked to your mom since then. And what I guess has unfolded in your life after that? So I um, ended up we finished our whole court thing. DCFS came back um, that it wasn't nothing. Like we we came back negative or whatever the results are for that. And then we closed the court case. Um, me and my ex came to a mutual agreement uh, that works for us. And I have since then um, gotten into a healthy relationship, uh, a real healthy relationship with a great guy who isn't crazy. And, um, I've began my healing journey and my healing journey is, is rough, man. It's rough. It's, it's really hard to sit and look at yourself and to look at the things you've gone through and really try to grow from what has happened. Right. And, and like I said, I've spent so long in an abusive coven (laughs) that, um, every day is new for me. I learn something new every day you know, and, um, it's so important for me to tell my story because I want everyone to understand that it doesn't matter if you have blood ties or not toxic is toxic. Right. And I feel like a lot of the community or people who aren't even a part of it, you know, they're like, well, it's your mom. You should, you should continue to talk to her because she, she's your mom and she birthed you. And it's like, mm-hmm. as much as I would love to talk to my mom, I never really had one, you know? So, so I definitely have horrible PTSD. Um, I have severe abandonment issues. I, um, I, I struggle to function in the healthy relationship that I'm in now. And I constantly have to check myself, you know, like when he gives me a compliment or he does something nice for me, or, you know, I text him and he doesn't text me back right away. I don't freak out and panic and think he's doing something that my ex would have done. Or, you know, um, I'm just constantly trying to remind myself that, you know, I, I am worth the compliment. I am worth the the better healthy relationship. Um, I do also struggle with night terrors. Still to this day, I wake up screaming, crying in my sleep. Um, so that's something I'm trying to figure out how to lessen. <laughs> And it's, it's hard. It's a, it's a daily struggle. It really is, but I'm, I'm working on it. And as far as grieving your mom goes, is there a process of you kind of going through that and understanding that it will never happen? Yes. So I've come to terms with the fact that I'm never going to, um, you know, I, I don't ever have to put myself in that position, but I do, however, have to find my own kind of forgiveness within myself for it and not so much anger or hate towards the situation, I guess. 
Well, Kelowna, I want to thank you for being here with me today and sharing your story and helping a lot of people. Telling a hybrid story isn't easy and, you know, you've been through a lot. So thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing your story. Thank you for listening and having me. So thank you once again, Kelowna, for being here with us today. And if you want to be a guest like Kelowna was today, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And if you are someone that needs support, we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. It is a wonderful group of people on there. You can share your experiences and make friends as well. So if you need support, Join our support group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. At domesticshelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number and email address, web address for shelters and agencies. No matter how big or small the town you are in, domesticshelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, please do go to domesticshelters.org. And we are also friends with a place called Shelter Movers, and Shelter Movers can be reached at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. It is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported charitable organization as well. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. They help you to safety, and they get all of your things out of your home and into storage all of your belongings into storage and they can do this for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. So if you need help from them or just want to donate to them, please go to sheltermovers.com and they are currently only available in Canada, but they are trying to get into the United States eventually and that is sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's episode. So for myself and Kelowna, we hope you have a good night.